0: He retired again in 2002 and moved to Brent Tree. While at Brent Tree, the Lord called him again out of retirement. And he pastored the uh, Mountain View Alliance Church from 2005 to 2010. In every church, his pulpit, in every pulpit, his flock knew that they were sure to hear good news. Good news, good news. He's always had a passion to spread the word of Jesus Christ. Charles was awarded the LaGrange District Rural Minister of the Year in 1962 and 63. He's a recipient of the Denman Evangelism Award in 1982. He was awarded a Doctor of Divinity from Asbury College in 1993 And Charles served as a trustee of the Asbury Theological Seminary from 1986 to 2002. During his long career, Charles has preached at revivals, camp meetings, evangelistic crusades, retreats, seminars, and I want you to listen to this carefully, in Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Illinois, Ohio, Texas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, France, Peru, Haiti, Cuba, Ghana, South Africa, Nicaragua, and the Bahama Islands. He's authored two books. One is "Good News, Good News, Good News," and a collection of his most, which is a collection of his most uh, requested sermons and Principles of Partnership, God's Plan for Marriage. Both of these will be on sale in the vestibule after the service. Charles attended Duke University, transferred to Emory for the love of a woman. And that woman is with us today, and sign it. Stand up and let us welcome you. He graduated from Cannon School of Theology with a Masters of Theology. He's been he and Anne been married for over fifty years and live here in Cobb County. But there's something else this body needs to know uh, about Charles. In nineteen ninety eight and nineteen ninety nine, Charles took a bold and courageous stand by not compromising the authority of Scripture. It was this stand that created the environment for the birth of Wesleyan Fellowship, where he was the founding pastor. Later, the name was changed to Riverstone. From Riverstone, five churches have been planted. Charles, these are some of your spiritual grandchildren. These are your spiritual grandchildren. Stonebridge, I want you to give your spiritual grandfather around in Stonebridge welcome.
1: Called me kid, 76 years old. In the evenings, I sit with what they call the men's table. One fella, all of us are hard of hearing, but this guy was about stone death. He came in one day, real excited, said, My daughter came, took me out, bought me the finest hearing aid you can buy, state of the art. I said, Well, what kind is it? He said, five minutes to 12. Well, that's where I live, and I'm honored to be here at Stonebridge. I worshiped with you on July 5th when the deal on the square was rained out. It was such a blessing to Ann and me to be here, and you can imagine my delight uh, when David invited me to preach, usually where I preach is about 60 people. So I think this, I'll tell when the people at Atherton Place said, how many do you preach to? I'm going to tell them something less than a thousand. <laughs> and I'll be telling the truth on it. This sermon that I'm going to preach to you today is a sermon that God laid on my heart several months ago. And I've had the privilege of preaching it five different times. There are a couple of people here that if my throat gives out, they can come and finish it for me. But I believe it's a needed message. I believe it's a needed message, and God's laid that on my heart. We live in uh, a strange time, don't we? And I'm going to preach about that. And people... I've heard people say, have you heard this lately in the last several months? Why doesn't God do something? Is God going to judge America? I'm not a prophet, neither am I the son of a prophet. But if I know my heart and if I know the Word of God, God's not going to judge America. God is going to judge His church. Why doesn't God do something, people say? Listen, 2,000 years ago on a Friday afternoon at about 3 o'clock, God did everything that needed to be done for America. God doesn't need to do anything else. He's done it. Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. But as the Scriptures teach us, it is time for judgment to begin where? With America? With the Soviet Union? With Al-Qaeda? No. It is time for judgment to begin, God's Word says, with the household of God. God is winnowing His church. This congregation is a part of that winnowing. Other churches are dying. And that may be a good thing. Really? Really? Because God is separating out His people, His true people. When He gets His church purified, then this, that church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I should say amen, but I won't. I want to preach this sermon. I don't get to preach much, so I'm going to preach every bit of it. I want to follow. I want to apologize to you. Those, I, I used to take about two or three, three by five cards into the pulpit and preach. I can't do that anymore. God has allowed me to lose my memory. I'm, I'm serious. I'm sorry. And if I just preached from memory, we'd be here at 2 o'clock. So you don't want that either. And so I'm, I, have to, I have to read it now. While God has allowed me to lose my memory, He did not take away my passion. So listen to the Word of God. Second chapter of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound came like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears him in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to, and to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. On the day of Pentecost, one of the manifestations of the coming of the Holy Spirit was the declaration of God's great good news in a multitude of different languages. The people who witnessed this strange phenomenon were puzzled and perplexed. They made fun of those Christians. Mockingly, they said, they have had too much wine. What they were saying is this. What strange conduct For those who purport to be so religious, they are drunk. Now, we know that they weren't drunk. They weren't filled with the spirits. They were filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They weren't drunk. But, say but, but, they certainly were peculiar. Say that, peculiar. God's people have always been peculiar people. Peter put it well, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. God's people have been and continue to be peculiar Chosen by him to be holy. Set apart by him for a very special purpose. What is that special purpose? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God's people, in obedience to his call, have always been peculiar. Noah. Was peculiar. How strange he must have appeared to his contemporaries as he and his sons built an ark in the middle of the desert. Peculiar. Abraham was peculiar, leaving his homeland and family to go to a strange and foreign land he did not know. What about Joseph? Wasn't it peculiar? when Joseph was willing to go to prison under false accusation rather than sin against God by succumbing to the lustful allurements of Potiphar's wife. Moses could have lived out his life in the comfort and affluence of Pharaoh's palace, but he turned his back on all of that and spent 40 years in the harsh desert land of Midian being prepared for another ministry in obedience to the call of God. Peculiar. Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego could have enjoyed the good life, eating at the king's own table. But eating that food would have violated their conscience because it ran counter to the law of God. So they chose another way, A strange way, a better way, yes, but decidedly a peculiar way. Hosea, the prophet of God, risks ridicule and ruin the loss of standing and reputation when he obeys God and marries Gomer, the town prostitute. Peculiar. John the baptizer dares to publicly rebuke King Herod for living in sin with his brother's wife. That peculiar behavior cost him his head. Saul of Tarsus was a leading theological scholar, a respected Pharisee on a career path that was assuredly headed to the top, membership on the Sanhedrin. He was a hero of the religious establishment as he zealously determined to stamp out any and all heresies, sects, cults that dared to challenge Orthodox Judaism. But something strange happened to him on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus. And from that moment on, everything about Saul changed. He became a whole new creation, all the old things passed away, and behold, everything about him became brand new. No doubt, to many who knew Saul, he became peculiar. That phenomenon reoccurred every time someone met Jesus, gave their life to Jesus, answered the call of Jesus. So complete was their conversion, so total their transformation, that in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of their peers, in the eyes of their contemporaries, they became peculiar. That really shouldn't surprise us. After all, Jesus was peculiar. When he was only 12 years old, He was found in the temple in Jerusalem discussing theology with the Ph.D.s on the faculty there. Peculiar. Early in his itinerant ministry, his own family tried to restrain him, saying he has lost his senses. Even his own family thought Jesus peculiar. John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, Members of the Holy Club in Oxford got up before daybreak every day to study the scriptures and pray. They fasted faithfully and denied themselves many of the comforts of life in order to provide food and clothing and medicine to the poor. They went out from the ivory towers of academia to visit the slums, the coal mines, factories, prisons, orphanages, sharing the love of God and witnessing to the saving grace of Jesus Christ to the least, the lost, the lowest. People thought them eccentric, to say the least. Derisively, they called them methodists, peculiar. Brothers and sisters, God calls us, chooses us, sets us apart for high and holy living to be peculiar people. Not weird, not bizarre, not obnoxious, not repugnant, but special, extraordinary, distinctively different. Listen now. We are not called to be different just for the sake of being different, to draw attention to ourselves. Like that guy 20 years ago used to be on television on all football games with the rainbow hair, John 3.16. He was peculiar, but he wasn't, by God's definition, peculiar because he was trying to draw attention to who? Himself. Our peculiar is not trying to draw attention to ourselves, but to point people to God. That's the difference. We're called to be different in order to proclaim the excellences of one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? You. The head. Wake up. Do your head like that. Glorify who? Glorify God. Distinctively different not to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to God and to witness to His excellence by our lives and with our lips. After all, how on earth will the world ever believe that Jesus Christ is can make any real difference in the world or in their lives if there is no clear evidence that he has made and is making any distinctive difference in our lives. Please believe me. Listen now, I'm telling you the truth. The world will never ever believe that Jesus can make a difference in it or in their lives until they see clear and convincing evidence that he is making a distinctive and difference in our lives. You know, when you think about it, Stonebridge is special. Say amen. Extraordinary. Distinctively different. And I suppose that makes those of you who choose to come here, worship here, study here, teach here, serve here, lead here, invest yourselves in personal ministry and witness here, peculiar people. I thought you looked peculiar. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God calls His people To be peculiar people. Distinctively different. And here's why. Only those who dare to be different will make a difference. May I repeat that? Only those who dare to be different will make a difference. Do you want to make a difference? Really make a difference? There's only one way to do it. You'll never make a difference by conforming to the standards and expectations of the world. Oh, dear friends, dare to be different. Dare to conform to the standards and expectations of God. Then you can make a difference. But let me warn you, if you do that, be assured that this world will think you peculiar. I can remember a time when Christian living, Christian standards, Christian values were thought of as normal in our culture and society. In those days, you had to do something like handle poisonous snakes to be thought of as peculiar. Not anymore. Today, we live in a secular, humanistic, agnostic culture, That thinks anyone peculiar who holds to a biblical worldview, believes the Bible to be the inspired word of God and his prescribed standard for Christian living, seeks to know and live by the will of God, participates faithfully in the life and ministry of the church, believes in and practices prayer, honors the Lord's day, is a good steward of all God's gifts, sacrificially tithes in order to support God's enterprises on earth, believes people are lost without Jesus, and so engages in personal evangelism and visions, intentionally sharing their faith by life and lips, holds that all of life, born and unborn, is sacred, honors marital vows for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health for as long as we both shall live, believes that sex is a gift from God to be practiced and enjoyed only by wives and husbands within the bonds of holy matrimony, commits themselves to disciplined living, self-denial, treats their body and mind as temples of the Holy Spirit, and refuses to contaminate them with anything that is harmful to their life or to their witness, Holds staunchly to scriptural standards and values and priorities in life, believes promises are to be kept, commitments are to be honored, life is to be lived not just going along to get along, but with a sense of responsibility and accountability to God lives life from an eternal perspective, willing to forego the fleeting pleasures of sin, now for lasting rewards yet to come. People like that are are perceived by this culture and society as peculiar. Listen, light is always peculiar in the midst of prevailing darkness. Truth is always peculiar in the midst of prevailing falsehood. Integrity is always peculiar in the midst of prevailing tolerance and compromise and political correctness. Somebody all say me. A book that I've read and reread the last few years has had a dramatic impact upon my life. The name of the book is The Insanity of God. Say that, The Insanity of God. The author writes under a pseudonym, Nick Ripken. That's not his real name. He writes under a pseudonym because his life would be in danger if he did not. He is a missionary to the persecuted church around the world. In the book, he simply tells of his visits and personal encounters with our courageous and suffering sisters and brothers in the kingdom in many parts of the world that he cannot name for fear of reprisal upon himself and on those of whom he writes. One of the martyrs of whom he writes was a man in Russia named Dmitry. Say Dmitry. Now you know Russia. (laughs) a little. Dimitri was a simple worker. In his little village, the authorities had closed his church and imprisoned the village pastor. So Demetri began to pastor his family. When others in the village heard what he was doing, they asked if they could come and join in with them. It wasn't long before they had dozens of believers in their house church. The communist authorities heard about it and came to close down the church and warned Dimitri that if he continued doing what he was doing, they would put him in prison. In obedience to the call of God, Dimitri continued doing what he was doing and they put him in prison for seven days years in prison he was not allowed to have a bible nor a hymn book so in his cell he had to rely upon his memory of scripture a few hymns and he began to write new hymns that declared his convictions about God every morning Demetri would get up stand at attention in his cell and lustily and boldly sing out one of his heart songs to God. At first, the other prisoners were agitated and took their tin cups and ran them along the bars and tried to drown him out. But despite their derision and catcalls, Dimitri, like Daniel of old, continued to practice of personal devotions and witness to his faith. His fellow prisoners derided him. The prison guards beat him and put him in solitary confinement. The warden threatened Dimitri with even worse punishment and death. But Dimitri was not a warden pleaser, he was a God pleaser. Dimitri was peculiar. One day, Dmitri was taken from his cell and dragged down a car to, to what he was sure would be the place of his execution. As they were taking Dimitri to the place of execution, the strangest thing happened. Fifteen hundred prisoners who before had ridiculed and derided him stood at attention in their cells and sang from memory the heart song that they had heard Demetrius sing every morning for 17 years. Demetri's guard instantly released their hold on his arms and stepped away from him in terror. One of them demanded to know, Who in the world are you? And Demetri stood and straightened his back, and boldly proclaimed, I have a son of the living God, a follower of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt about it, Dimitri was peculiar. But God used his peculiarity to touch the lives of his fellow prisoners and win their respect and admiration. Don't you see, because he dared to be different, Dimitri was used by God to make a difference. Good news, good news, good news. In the world's opinion, peculiar people seem to be strange, weird, bizarre, but not to God. In God's opinion, to be peculiar means to be chosen, called out, special, extraordinary, set apart, distinctively different in order to make a life-changing, people-changing, culture-changing, world-changing difference. That's God's opinion of peculiar people. And sisters and brothers, In the final accounting, God's opinion is the only opinion that matters. Let's pray. Lord, if I have spoken your truth this morning, would you let the blessed Holy Spirit apply it in the hearts and spirits of your people here? that we may live for you and shine for you so that we may be used by you to make a difference. In the name of the one who has made all the difference, even Jesus. Amen.